How does expectation affect you? Now, expectation doesn't necessarily affect what happens, right? Because people can have things happen to them that you don't expect. And when you have something that happens to you that you don't expect, it's called a surprise, all right, or a letdown. Um, Some surprises are good, other surprises are not. When we get a surprise that is good, we normally get... No, if we get a surprise, it's good. A good surprise. What are we, we get excited, right? We get happy. We get pumped up about it. If we get a surprise that is crazy, disappointing, we get dejected, discouraged, shocked, all those other kinds of things. Let me uh, just show you a couple of scriptures about expectations. This uh, pops up just after John the Baptist's disciples have left Jesus asking who he is. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing, like royal clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. All right, now, the bottom line about this is that um, the crowd... They knew about John the Baptist, but they didn't know everything about John the Baptist. I mean, Jesus pushes them and he gets to the point where he's going, look, you might have even thought he's a prophet, but he was even better than a prophet. So their expectation was not matched by reality, in a sense, that the reality actually exceeded it. You see a similar kind of thing going on here in the feeding of the 5,000. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread will not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Did Peter expect a miracle? No, he didn't. But he got one anyway. (laughs) But what's the connecting point between expectation and what actually happens in reality, right? Because the bottom line is that expectations can cause you to miss things. It can actually cause you to be in a place where you don't engage with something. Do you see that here? You can see that in those two scriptures. You know, they were kind of right about John the Baptist, but not to its fullest extent. You know, the feeding of the 5,000, you know, no one there actually expected a miracle except for Jesus. They only expected that you couldn't feed everyone with the food that they actually had. They expected division and not multiplication. True? They expected division and not multiplication. And so they come to Jesus and they don't actually expect him to be able to do anything about the problem that they've got with food. Now Jesus knows what he's going to do, but they come to him and they don't expect him to do anything. They look at what they have and they can't think their way out of it. And they can't work their way out of it. There's a sense in which expectation is a limitation to them and the way that they can engage with it. Now, the fascinating thing about it is their expectation, if we look at the feeding of the 5,000, doesn't ultimately influence what Jesus does because he's just going to get it done anyway and he's going to blow their minds. But it does affect the way that they actually engage with Jesus. Let me ask you this question. You don't have to talk about this one. Do your expectations stop God doing what he wants to do? Now, 
I would, I'll just sort of put that one up as an easy one. <laughs> Not. Well, we'll get to that a little bit more in a minute, but here's, here's an interesting thing. I think that humanity has a way of having this notion of some mystical power where if you just do the right thing, right things happen. Or if you just say the right things, right things happen. I, uh, a good mate of mine thinks that there's some kind of force in the world and if you say the right things and you put the right vibes out, out there, good things will come back to you. If you say the wrong things, if you say unhelpful things, you put bad energy out there, bad en- energy comes back at you. And when you actually look at that in the context of religion that's called does anyone know what that's called karma all right that's another thing right there's some kind of force or thing going on we've just got to do the right thing we get the right thing back and sometimes i wonder in the church whether we have some kind of belief about that as well that if we just do the right things and we put the right things in place the right things will happen And so we end up easily relating to God as some kind of force rather than a personal being. Is anyone with me at this point? I'm trying to do a complex thing really simply. You can tell me whether I'm successful later on. You see, I reckon expectation has a lot to do with what you believe. If you go to a definition of expectation, an expectation is a strong belief that something will happen or be the case. You tend to expect what you believe. You know, what you believe about God and the way that he works feeds into your expectations about what's going to happen. It feeds into a kind of readiness about what's going to happen. So my question that we started with that I got you to have a discussion about was really asking you about what do you actually believe about God that shapes what you expect is going to happen in church on Sunday mornings all right a lot of you gave questions which are sorry a lot of you gave answers which were good answers based on the fact that you you thought what was going to happen was what normally happens in church but if God is who God is is what normally happens in church the thing that we can always expect is normally going to happen like is is church just the the result of human activity well there's a lot of human activity in church but is that the sum total of what goes on in church and i'm not saying that any any way to kind of correct you in any way i'm just kind of saying that to encourage you to extend you to push you into an area that uh, you could think a little bit more about what are we doing when we get together i want you to have another conversation with the person next to you what do you believe about the church and who god is all right, here's some questions to just, you don't have to answer every one of these. These are just kind of primer questions to get you to have a good conversation. What are we doing when we get together as the church? What's the purpose of the meeting? Who's God in the middle of us getting together? What's the Bible? What's the Holy Spirit? All right, I'm just really wanting you to, to just kind of push your thinking. Like when you get together, like are we coming to church on a Sunday for someone to stand up and we're all just going to sing three songs and then someone's going to get up and talk for a bit and then we're going to sit down and have some food and go home. Now that's, that's part of what we do, but is that, is that kind of, is that, is that what church is? Because I, I think church is, I just really want to push in this, church is framed 
by who the, what the scriptures are, by, by who God is, by who the Holy Spirit is. You still with me? So can you take another couple of minutes now and have a quick conversation about this? What do you believe about the church and who God is? What do you believe about those kind of things? Have a quick conversation about that. A couple of minutes. So I'm still uh, kind of, the point of all of this is just, just trying to tease out and, and kind of see if we can get our hands on what, what effect does it have on the church what is our expectation? What is our belief about God? What kind of effect does that have on the way that we actually do church? What, what kind of effect does that have on what God does? Does it have any effect on what God does? This is kind of the question that I'm asking. All right? And I think it's a good question to ask because everyone's been in a meeting. I'm, I'm sure that you've been in a meeting if you've been in church long enough where you go and everyone's expectations really high and a whole bunch of stuff seems to happen. And some of it you might go, yeah, well, people just see through the glasses through their looking through. And I'm just going, yeah, well, some of that probably happens. But it does appear that a lot of things happen when people have a higher expectation than when they don't. Is that because there's some kind of force out there and our expectation has got to somehow manipulate this force to do something? And, and, and if we don't have it, that things are stopped from happening? And you with me? This, this is kind of what I'm, what I'm, uh, I'm trying to help you just to, just to think about. Here's a uh, question that kind of flows on from one I asked earlier. Does what you believe about God and church change what happens there? Does it? Well, like most questions of this type, um, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> All right? The answer is yes and no. Um, I think it does change what happens in a sense. It changes the way that you engage with God and what God's actually doing. But does it actually change the way that God operates? If we, if we come to church and we have this lack of expectation and we just think it's going to be someone standing up the front and we just don't expect anything great to happen and even though we believe that God's supernatural, He's not just confined to the natural realm, He's everywhere and he's active and he's doing stuff, is, is there some kind of mysterious mechanism by which if I come to church and I'm just kind of not, I haven't got my magazine loaded for doing the spiritual thing on a Sunday and so God's kind of shut out a bit and he can't do stuff? Is that, is that what's going on? And I, I want to just throw out to you, don't, well, I don't think so. I think it actually works different than that. There's no kind of invisible force that you have to sweet talk to get things to go the way that you want them to go. You know, God isn't prevented from doing as He pleases because you and I don't have faith or expectation or belief. God's not limited by what we believe. Is that true? He just isn't limited by what we believe. And I want to say to you this morning, that's good news, isn't it? Because humans do well sometimes and the rest of the time they don't do so well when it comes to actually trusting and believing in God. You know, most of what God actually says to us is just on a higher plane than us. I mean, you probably read this in Isaiah 55 verse 6 to 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. I want to say to you this morning that if, you, uh, if, if God's activity is contingent, if it's dependent upon you having the right heart and the right expectation and the right belief, we're kind of behind the eight ball from the get-go. I mean, that's Isaiah 55. It's like, man, you know, most of the time you just got to expect that God's going to be doing things that don't make sense to us. And he's going to be doing things in reverse. I was uh, talking to someone recently and they said, yeah, God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. Things are upside down in this kingdom. And so if God's activity and his work amongst us and his work in you is dependent upon your belief or your expectation or getting that right, we're going to be in trouble. Check out this classic statement from uh, Peter in Mark chapter 8. This is like the hinge of the whole of the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, right? This is uh, uh, Peter or Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And that's the point at which everyone should probably at that point in time been cheering, all right? It was like, if you look at the whole of the Gospel of Mark, it's this piece in the middle where Peter finally gets it, the penny drops. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and listen to what happens legend peter went from the <laughs> the top floor to the cellar all right within a couple of verses peter took him aside he began to rebuke him just a tip if you ever feel like you need to rebuke god you're in trouble all right <laughs> but turning and seeing his disciples he rebuked peter and said get behind me satan for you are not setting your mind on the things of god but on the things of man here's the thing peter had an expectation about the way that jesus was going to do things and it wasn't he kind of had a revelation about who Jesus was, but then when it came down to the nitty-gritty of being killed and murdered, taken out, Peter struggled with that. That was not his expectation about the kind of saviour that Jesus was going to be. But you see, Jesus goes ahead and does it anyway. You know, Jesus' ways and God's ways are so far above our ways. You know, our expectations, in a sense, don't limit God. He does as he pleases. And yet, I don't want some of you going, yeah, but doesn't it have some kind of impact on stuff that happens and what God does? Some of you are thinking about all the passages about faith and, and prayer, and it does. It does have an impact. Your expectations do have an impact because there's a connection between what you believe and the way that you act. You see, all these things that you believe about church play into your expectations about what's going to happen at church when you come to church. That's just the way it works. You always do what you believe. So an example might be if someone... Someone could say, I'm really anxious and it's keeping me up at night this 
situation that's coming up in my life in three days' time. And then they could say, but I believe God's in charge, he loves me and he's going to make everything work for good. And those two two things wouldn't actually necessarily connect. Because what someone thinks in their head is not always the thing that they functionally believe. You with me? Like if you get stuck in anxiety, being stuck in anxiety means you're actually running, you're rolling down a railway track of beliefs that are different to what you might actually state you believe. Like there's a difference between what you say you believe and what you're actually believing in that moment. And I want to say to you that people always operate based on what they believe in that particular moment. And sometimes I think it's better to look at your actions to work out what you believe rather than start with your beliefs. So let me give you another one. Let me ask you this question. You can throw in on this maybe. If you don't pray very much, what does that say about what you believe about God? What are some things that it might say about what you believe about God? You don't think there's any point? What, what else? Don't have a high expectation of God? You don't think he's going to get involved? You don't need him? You could do it on your own? Sorry, someone up there? You don't trust him? You probably don't, yeah, you probably don't love him as much. Yeah. I think, I mean, not to go down a sidetrack, but I think that's a classic one because when Jesus says the Father knows what you need before you pray, the next thing he does in Matthew is he teaches people how to pray. (laughs) And we use that text and just go, well, he knows what I need, so I'm not going to talk to him about stuff, you know, whereas Jesus is the exact opposite. You see the point here, your, what you believe informs what you expect, all right? And you always operate in line with what you believe. So, let me give you a couple more examples. I hope, I hope some of you are tracking with me here. If you don't think that God can save your friend or your family member, all right? Like if you, and I'm talking about the person actually becoming a Christian, right? Let's say you've got a long-term person who doesn't know Jesus and you pray lots and lots and you just get to the point where you just think, I just don't think it's going to happen. Can God still save them? Of course He can. <laughs> of course He can. He doesn't actually need you. You see, your belief about whether God can save your family member or your friend doesn't ultimately change or stop what God does, but it does change what you do. Does that make sense? It changes the way that you engage with your friend. What about this one? What if you believe that God can't do a miracle, like a healing kind of miracle? Does that mean that He can't do it? Does that stop Him from doing a miracle? No, it doesn't, but it'll change the way that you engage with that situation, right? Now, The scriptures teach that people should ask God to heal people, don't they? And this is where it gets, where we just add add on another little facet here. 
If God chooses to heal someone through the prayers of someone for someone's healing, it makes sense, doesn't it, that you need to pray for the person to be healed? Is it, are you with me? Like if God says, I'm going to heal people by people praying for people to be healed, then it, it makes sense that if you don't do that, then you won't get as many healings because that's the means through which God chooses to accomplish his ends. So what am I saying here? I'm saying that expectation affects the way that you engage with what God's doing, but your expectation actually affects the way that you engage with God as well and what he's doing. Here it is in a diagram. What you functionally believe or what you expect affects how you connect with what God is already doing and it affects how you connect with God. Now, I don't, God is not an impersonal force. He is a, he's a personal being and he wants you to talk to him about stuff. And if you expect, like we just talked about before with prayer, if you expect that God doesn't really care and you don't talk to him about stuff, then you're not actually engaging with him personally and God's not responding to you in the context of that. I mean, there's, the scriptures are clear in James 4 you don't have because you don't ask. So in one sense, we're actually saying, you know what? God can do whatever he wants. And what he does is not dependent upon your expectation. But then at the same time, we're also saying, you know what? If you don't ask for something, you're not going to get it. And you miss out on it. So what are we doing? Well, we're doing both. <laughs> All right? And what do we want to do? We actually want to believe and expect things that are in line with who God is so that we are engaged with what he's already doing and so we also ask him to do things that aren't happening yet. And if you're asking for a stone, will he give you a snake? Will he? No, he won't. He won't give you a snake if you ask for a stone. This is out of Matthew 7. Folks, we are not dealing with this power that we can neutralise. We're dealing with a person that wants us to talk to him and he's already doing stuff in the pl on the planet and he's already doing stuff this morning. So we just want to have the right beliefs and expectation so that we can connect with what he's doing, whatever that is. And in addition, we also realise he's a person so we can talk to him and he's going to respond to stuff. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. If you don't seek, do you find? No, you don't. <laughs> Conventionally, you do not find if you don't seek. And Jesus is even saying, if you don't ask, you don't get. Some of you are going, I thought you were just saying that it doesn't affect the way that God operates. I'm just going, well, it does, but in a relational way. Not in an impersonal force way, in a relational way. Let's keep reading. For everyone who asks, receives... And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? Did I say stone and serpent before? That was awesome, wasn't it? That was great. Yes. Just note to Haley to edit that one out. Yes, yeah, like, yeah, get a stone or a serpent. You guys are looking at me blankly. I'm just going, what is wrong? Like, wouldn't you take the stone?
Apologies. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see, we're not, if you look at Matthew 7, we are not in this space where there's this impersonal force out there and we've got to operate the right way, otherwise we won't get the right stuff. What we've got is we've got a Father, we've got a God who is active and is doing a whole bunch of stuff in the world and we need to have the right beliefs and expectations about that so that we can see what he's doing and also the right beliefs and expectations about him so that we can ask him for help. Amen? Now, Christians can be fatalists. Does anyone know that? I, was, uh, I, I, I have a lot of experience in this. Um, and I'm not saying that this was, this certainly was not my father and it wasn't the church I was involved in, but I, I have always believed very strongly in God's sovereignty, the fact that he's in charge, he's a ruler, he's uh, in charge of stuff, right? But for me, it just became Kesara, Sara, whatever will be, will be, there's nothing I can do about it. In fact, back in the early days of the project, um, I was running a community group and we had a guy who doesn't go to the church anymore, but um, and it, it may have been because of this conversation, possibly. But he actually made the comment in the middle of this community group, he said, I don't think we should ever pray for anyone to become a Christian. I'm just going, really? He goes, yeah, because they're just going to become a Christian if they're going to become a Christian and God's just going to do the work. We don't have to pray about it. I was going, well, see, I disagree with you. I disagree with you. You know, it's, it's a weird thing sometimes in the church that we either swing out to one end of the spectrum and just go, it all depends upon God and so I don't do anything, or it swings right out to this end of the spectrum and it all depends upon me. And it, if I don't get it done, then everything falls apart. And I think, I think both of those extremes, where on this side you don't do anything because it all depends upon God, and on this side... It all depends upon you. I think they're both unbiblical. Because I think what God actually calls us into is he calls us into a relationship where there's a personal dynamic that's actually going on. You know, God is a father who has promised to respond to his children's acting, hasn't he? And it's not that it all depends upon you, but he's a father that responds to his children's acting. So you act and you pray. And he, and he tells stories about persistent widows who keep banging on the door to get justice. You know? And, and you, you keep praying, you keep talking to God about it. You know, if... Look at this out of Ephesians 2. This is a section about the church. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens of the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, God's church is where he dwells. God's church is where he dwells. I still don't think you get it. That's where he dwells. Like when we get together on a Sunday morning, like do, do you see the vast array 
the vast number of possibilities that are open to us on a Sunday morning. Because God's here. Is anyone with me? It's like all the things that we expect about church. It's like I go, yeah, bravo, good. But if God's here, like the creator of the world, if he's actually here, man, there's a lot of stuff on the table that's not on the board. Is anyone with me? It just is. Now you can, and, and I'm, please don't hear me, I'm not being critical of you, I'm just wanting to stir you up, all right? Because I just think your expectations are too low. <laughs> you know why I know that? Because they're always too low. Your expectations are always too low. God's always better than you think. Always. You hear me? He's always better than you think. And some of you are starting to think a little bit, maybe even right now, about how good he is. Well, he's better than that. All right? The best thought that you could have of God, he's better than that and he can do more than that. Now, here's the thing. He does things in reverse sometimes and they don't make sense to us. And sometimes he seems to be quiet and he doesn't seem to be doing a whole lot. And other times he seems to be really busy. That's up to him. He can do whatever he pleases. And you know what? He will do whatever he pleases. That's what the psalmist says. But he is better than you actually think. So what might happen in a church if God is present in it? That's a good question. What might happen? Pretty much. So the question is, like, are you looking for it? Are you looking for it? You just, you know, it's July and it'd be nice if it was spring and it's starting to feel like spring and getting a bit of life. And we were just talking in the office the other day, someone was mentioning about how, you know, it's just a time of the year people go through the motions. And I just go, well, you know what? That's just not going to be, that's sad, isn't it? You know, we just come to church and we just go through the motions. Is, is, that, is that what we're doing? Or you're dissatisfied with that? You know, you get up and you go to work and you go through the motions. What about a church that has this kind of stuff happening? Ephesians 5, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in the Lord with all your heart. You know, I don't, in one sense, I just go, if you don't do that, and it's not like it blocks God, and all of a sudden you've kind of, it's checkmate, and there's nothing he can do about it. I just think he's drawn to it. Like, you come, you come to church, and you be filled with the Spirit, and you sing songs with all of your heart to God, well, what's he going to do? Well, it doesn't manipulate him into doing anything, but he's a person, and he just loves that, so he does stuff. You with me? It changes the way that you engage and it changes stuff, not because it's some kind of manipulative tool for God, but it's because you're relating and engaging with Him personally. Now, all of this this morning gets me to this point. All of it gets me to this point. We're gonna, I'm going to preach um, on spiritual gifts for a while, Okay. We've actually never done it. I've never, I mean, we've talked about, there's different passages we've referred to spiritual gifts, but probably for the next term, um, the next two or three months, I'm going to be preaching through 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. And you know what? Part of the reason why is because I'd like to see a bit more activity. (laughs) All right? 
I'd, I'd just like to see a bit more activity around the place. And I think spiritual gifts are one of those things that just kind of go off the boil um, and, and people just kind of drift away from it. Some of you are going, yes, and, and in a really good way. And some of you go, oh, this is going to be weird. But the Spirit's in the church, isn't it? Ephesians 2 says that. And then 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 says this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Listen to 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, and all of us need to hear this. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Come on. There's someone, with the, there's someone with the spirit over there. So, I think people just need reminding to pursue it. I wonder how long it's been since you prayed that God would help you to prophesy. You probably should. True? Some of you go, oh, Jesus, I don't know. Starting to think about, you know, you're Googling other churches in Toowoomba already. <laughs> I, uh, uh, <laughs> All right, let me just make a couple of comments and then, then I'm going to, then we're going to read for a bit actually. Um, I used to be a cessationist. So a cessationist uh, basically believes that a bunch of the spiritual gifts ceased with the completion of the Bible. All right, that is... Uh, theologically that's the classical kind of background that I come from I used to be in that camp and I just want to let you know not now I haven't been in it the whole time that we've been running the church here Um, and I think we could be leaning into it more than what we are I think at the project uh, we've made reference to it along the way we've intentionally kept Sunday mornings uh, really clean uh, just so that people um, can understand it well and be blessed and be edified by coming to church and that, you know, if you bring a non-Christian friend along, someone who doesn't know Jesus, we don't really want them to have to go home and have a 30-minute conversation with you to understand what happened in church. We're just wanting to keep it really accessible uh, to people. But sometimes people have kind of looked at that and just gone, oh, you guys don't even believe in it. And it's just like, no, we do. We just see, we just see it not being all flashy and happening big time on a Sunday morning all the time, all right? And if you've been around here long enough, there's been times where people have had stuff on their heart that they've gotten up and shared and that often happens to me. I end up saying things that I hadn't planned to say on Sunday mornings um, and I think, I think there are some expressions of that but I just think that we need to be stirred up a little bit at the moment. Now, this can be quite controversial in churches and it's caused a lot of trouble for churches but I think it's important for us to uh, talk about them because if you don't they just tend to fade away into the background now some of you are starting to think already of some of the risks okay and i'm sure that you've been around long enough to have known the abuses of spiritual gifts okay and there's lots of them out there now Let me just say this, just because something gets abused doesn't mean that you throw it out. It means you just need to do it well and you need to do it biblically. You need to do it the way that God asks you to do it. Okay, there has been, there's sometimes there's a tendency for gifts 
the gifts of the Spirit to distract from Jesus, to distract from the Scriptures, to distract from the importance of doing relationship with Jesus. There's almost, I mean, I've seen it a bunch of times where people just kind of get all starry-eyed with the gifts and forget about the giver who gave the gifts. You know, I remember uh, going uh, in my cessationism days, uh, probably... Oh, geez, it'd be 15 years ago now. I was working at a school and uh, they had a, a prophet. And we'll get to that sort of stuff later on. But they had a prophet come and do some prophecy uh, in the place. And uh, I was, um, I, I, I determined that I was going to go. And uh, I have been personally very blessed by people who have expressed a gift in prophecy in a very, uh, in a very careful way. And uh, that's happened a bunch of times to me and I've been really blessed by it. Um, but um, I was walking to this uh, to the room, and this uh, fellow teacher of mine uh, could tell that there was a little bit of hesitation in me at that point in time. And this teacher said to me, "What's wrong, Peter? Don't you believe that God can do anything?" And my response—I still kind of stand by my response now. I said, "Yes, I do believe that God can do anything, but I don't think He does everything," which is a reflection of a little bit of kind of. You know, it's, it's like I want to make lots and lots of room for the activity of God, but I also don't want to go around saying that everything is God. <laughs> and people claiming that God told me this and God told me that. And I think the whole thing just gets messy. And sometimes you kind of go, man, what are we, you know, we don't want to go near that because it gets too complicated and it gets messy and it gets difficult. And I just go, no, not if the scriptures say that we should pursue it, let's pursue it. And let's do it in a way that's really helpful and loving to other people. Let's not just throw it out. I mean, most of you probably who are thinking this is going to be interesting are probably thinking about the gift of tongues. I think tongues is a, just a classic example of a gift that ta- just, when, when, when it's not handled well, ends up coming very much to the forefront in a church when it seems to me in the scriptures to be something that needs to sit in the background a little bit. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I'd rather speak five words in an intelligible tongue than 5,000 in a tongue that no one can understand. You know, you've got scriptures in uh, 1 Corinthians 14 that say, if you speak in tongues in a public meeting, you need to make sure you have someone who can interpret. All right? Why do you need to have someone to interpret? So that it's a blessing to everyone. So everyone's edified and encouraged. Now, how many times have I been in meetings where people have been speaking in tongues publicly (laughs) up the front and there hasn't been an interpreter? Heaps of times. And I just go, well, you shouldn't really be doing that. Anyway, there's a couple of notes. Here's where I want to finish today. We've got eight minutes and I'd love for you to grab your Bibles because I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 to finish today. Because this is uh, what would have happened in the early church. They would have got a letter. They would have uh, read it out. Uh, Corinth was prosperous, cosmopolitan, pluralistic, which meant that it had lots of uh, different religious approaches. Uh, had lots of impressive public speakers that would kind of drop in and speak there. It was in the middle of a... Uh, It was at the heart of an important trade route in the ancient world and what you've actually got here with Paul as he's coming in and he addresses a whole bunch of practical questions that were dividing the church and one of them was uh, spiritual gifts. So 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, if you haven't got a Bible I'd encourage you to grab one up the back. 
Now remember too that as we read this, that this is not meant to be read with chapters and verses. It wasn't written with chapter to, chapters and verses in the first place, it was written as a letter. Here we go, 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you are pagans, you are led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptised into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say... Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? Where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues, are all apostles. The answer is, no, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing. And here's a critical one, do all speak with tongues? No, they don't. Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, let's, uh, let me make a quick note before I go on. We're just about to go into 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. Now, can you just duck across to 1 Corinthians 14 again? Just have a look at 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1. What does Paul talk about in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1? What does he go back into? Okay, he goes back into spiritual gifts, doesn't he? You see that? 
So in, in the scriptures, there's a type of writing called the chiasm, right? Where you start with one thing, you go to the next thing, and then you go in reverse and you come back out to the thing that you started with at the very beginning. So in this case, if you label them with a letter, he starts with A, which is spiritual gifts, goes to B, which is love, and then goes back to A, which is spiritual gifts. And whenever you see a chiasm, and sometimes they're quite long, it can go A, B, C, D, C, B, A. <laughs> All right? You can see that pattern where they kind of work into something and then they work in the same pattern but in reverse to come out of it. When you have a pattern like that, the key thing in that whole pattern that the writer's wanting to impress on you is the middle bit. And the middle bit in this case is what? It's love. So let's do it. And I'll show you a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. So now faith, hope and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So you, you just got to note that all that love stuff is in the context of spiritual gifts. Especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their building and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. These are doubtless many different, sorry, there are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks a tongue in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? Like if you want to speak in a tongue and there's no interpreters, you should ask God to give you the gift of interpretation of what you just said. 
For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. (laughs) Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Why? It doesn't help anyone. You want to love people. You want to build people up. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret but if there's no one to interpret let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said if a revelation is made to another sitting there let the first be silent for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets for God is not a God of confusion but of peace As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. We look forward to that one. That'll be a good sermon. For for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognise this, he is not recognised. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Well, I wonder if you stand with me. I'm just going to pray. I suspect that some of you uh, are probably thinking, yeah, it's about time. it would uh, be good to have some preaching on this. For you, uh, you probably think that we haven't talked about this quite as much as we could have and others of you probably think well this is going to be interesting um i think if the scriptures say that we should earnestly desire them we should desire them and we should pray for them um and uh, i i i don't know i'd like to see more of it happening around the place amen i'd like to see more of god's work in the in the project yeah so it doesn't mean, uh, I mean, we, we, we follow the biblical kind of principles, but uh, we do want to make space for that because God is better than your best thought of him, okay? And he's more able than uh, the best thought that you have of him. So uh, 
Let me pray and, um, and we'll finish today. God, we, um, it just, it feels to me like most of life is just trying to get our head around who you are and making space to let you be who you are. And I mean, you'll do that anyway. You'll be who you are anyway. It's not like a puny human that last 80 years um, can stop God. But uh, God, we, we long for your activity amongst us. And God, you haven't just seen to it that um, we're saved, that you've forgiven our sins, that you've made us one of your kids. It didn't stop there. You made us a temple of your Holy Spirit. You made us a place where the Holy Spirit can actually dwell. And then, giving gifts. (laughs) Giving gifts to just kind of fit in and kind of sink in with everything that's in your heart to do. And so, God, I I pray that you would just stir us up a bit. Stir us up at the project. God, if we're just sitting in the back end of winter and just going through the motions, would you just stir us up? Would you lift our gaze to see who you are and what you can do and be looking to you more actively? God, help us uh, to be more attentive and watchful about what you're already doing. And God, help us to be people who ask for more. Ask for more activity. Ask for more work. Ask for you to get involved in situations around us, in our own situations. God, you're a good father. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. Have a good day.